Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number, let's see here, 209 today. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's getting up there. Uh, we are going to be discussing uh, Megalith Hunter and Malta with our new buddy um, or our new friend, Laura Tabone. Uh, she runs the Megalith Hunter channel, which you can go check out. I have the link down below the video. Uh, she also has a really cool instagram uh, uh page where she's posting all sorts of pictures from around malta and everything so go check that out as well i have the link down below to that uh also and uh before we get started here head on over to our patreon at patreon.com slash mind escape podcast for just two dollars a month you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments there's a ton of stuff up there if you listen to our show uh and you're looking for more content uh just go check it out it's just two dollars a month so uh, and one more time, indrasweb.org is live. This is the social media platform we created to connect open minds. If you want to discuss ancient civilizations or ancient sites or metaphysics, philosophy, whatever you want to discuss, it's the perfect place to do it. Uh, so head on over there and set up a profile. We are still working on getting it in the app store. And uh, without further ado, welcome on the show, Laura. Hi, guys. Nice to finally do this. I know we've been talking about it for a while. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, so I think I've been following you actually since you started posting mm-hmm. pictures and, and doing uh, everything from the beginning. Um, you do have a uh, uh, do little stuff on Facebook as well. So uh, be, if you're on Facebook, check her out on there. Uh, but yeah, you just started posting pictures. I saw you know Instagram and everything, and now you have a channel on YouTube where you're posting videos and kind of going through. Uh, a little bit of you know the the temples and a lot of the sites and some of the mysteries surrounding Malta. Um, so, what got you into all of this? Well, I've been interested in ancient history. Well, all all periods of history, but ancient history especially since probably the nineties. Um, I I re- started reading a lot of books. I've read obviously all of Graham Hancock's books, and I've always been drawn to the Neolithic period um, because it's such a mystery. And last year, we were staycationing the whole year in Malta. We couldn't really go anywhere, so we just kept going to Gozo. And I had already been to all the sites since I've been living here around eight, nine years. And I, I thought there's nothing really left to see. And then I started downloading documents which talk about excavations that have um, happened in the past or references to scattered megaliths that haven't been excavated and they're not 100% sure if they did belong to temples or men here. And I realized that there are so many monuments that are off the beaten track. So I started going around and trying to find them. And it's very difficult because most of these old documents obviously don't have GPS. And the, they'll name a field or a road that doesn't exist anymore or where the name has changed. So it's actually really difficult. So I was, I like hiking. So I turned my hiking into megalith hunting and that's where I got the name from. And then 
as I went around and found more and more sites um, off the beaten track, as well as um, somewhere they may or may not be megalithic, but they could be natural. Um, I started recording my hikes on Instagram and then reading more and more documents and more and more books um, on Maltese prehistory. And that's how this whole thing, this whole project developed. And now um, it's, it's something that I want to do outside of Malta as well, mm. but it's just a bit tricky to travel at the moment. Sure. So I'm still staycationing. But um, when I can, I, I obviously have read a lot about the megaliths of different countries. And I'm trying to feature more and more of those analyses um, on my channel. So, but from an Instagram perspective at the moment, going around taking photographs, that's just Malta and Goza. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you were going to spread out uh, past Malta, but uh, yeah, yeah. You, you made a good point. It's hard to get around. Uh, just one thing, actually, your lapel thing's banging against, and it's kind of clicking pretty loud on the uh, your mic on your. Uh, uh, I don't know if there's something we can fix. I was just making you aware of it. Um, um yeah, I think. All right, I think it's just moving the tassels on my dress. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, very excited. I mean, if you want, you could you maybe unplug it if you turn the volume down. We could try that. I don't know if that'll work. Uh, let let me see if I can just turn the volume. Um, uh, I can't find the jazzy thing that. Uh, the... <laughs> One second. Um. Okay, and maybe if I just talk less with my hands, it will help. Uh, I was going to say, too, if you want to try, you could unplug the mic and just talk to the computer. If maybe we turn the, the audio that's coming through down. Uh, but try. the headphones are connected to the mic, so. Okay, gotcha. Can't, because we need the headphones. Right, right. <laughs> um, Sounds better. Yeah. So, in terms of uh, Malta and everything like that, there's a lot of like weird mysteries that um, some people perpetuate. I think uh, some of the mysteries even further than what they actually are um that's not to say there's not actual real mysteries there's like cart ruts there's uh weird skeletons and skulls and people disappearing in the hypogeum and all sorts of weird, <laughs> yeah. weird things that have happened um but we you and i kind of put together a little bit of a, a slideshow so i'm going to pull that up here and we can start going through that um before we do that i was going to pull up a quick map of malta just so people can see you know, the basic island, and you have the main part of Malta, and then you also have Gozo. Um, it looks like there's a little island in between. Um, what's, the, is it, is it a lot, is it like really dry there? Is it kind of like, uh, similar to like Sicily in a way? Yeah, it's very dry. Okay. Hmm. Um, um, it's very, very hot at the moment. Uh, like what kind of temperatures are we talking here? Like, uh, oh, we've been we're having a heat wave, so it's been over forty this week uh, degrees Celsius. I okay. don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but um, it's very very hot. Warm, let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you obviously live there, which is kind of cool. Um, you get to explore a lot of these sites that most people have to travel to. Um, but uh, let's get into it here. I, this is just a quick dating uh timetable so you can see like the, mm -hmm. ne the neolithic period that goes from 5000 to 4100 bc um and you've got some of the earliest dated sites i think is it gahar dalam is that how you pronounce it or dalam yeah okay uh, again I mean, I'm, I'm gonna butcher some of these words like you mentioned no, it's all right. the Don't language worry. is very difficult um 
you know, you got gray Scorba and then red Scorba, and then you get down to the Temple period, which I think we're going to be talking about some of those sites. And you got uh, Zabu, Zabug, Zabug, Zabush, Zabush. All right, uh, all right. Uh-huh. Here we then, go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and then M M Imgar, Imgar, Imjar, yeah, Imjar. Okay. Uh, and then G- Gigantesia, uh, Gigantia, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I have a comment to make on this. So, um, what I was reading this, um, this monograph by the Fraxis project. So that's, um, a group that did excavations between, um, 2013 and 2018, and they got new dating evidence, um, for the temple period and the early Neolithic. And one of the interesting things that they found is that there's a there's a gap between the early Neolithic and the Temple period of roughly 800 years, wow. where there is some scanty dating evidence, but not very much. So either the islands emptied out completely during that period and then were resettled, and not necessarily by that previous early Neolithic farming culture, or the population um, decreased for some reason to barely detectable levels and then increased again around the temple period which is when to begin with they started building rock-cut lobed tombs and then developed into the megalithic architecture that we can still see today so i think that's really interesting it's called the fifth millennium hiatus and no one kind of knows why they left and if it was the same people or same culture that came back 800 years later well, and I think that there, even though this is probably one of the earliest uh, European sites, um, there are a lot of similarities I found in, from the figurines to some of the architecture and uh, megaliths to like um, the Sardinian sites of, you know, the Naragi people. There's some similarities I found there. Mm-hmm. If you look at even the figurines, similar to a lot of the uh, cyclitic cultures in Greece. Um, and even some similarities to like going all the way back to Gobekli Tepe, not like a ton, but just like you could see kind of almost like a progression or some sort of crossover. Um, yeah, for sure. There seems to be a lot of similarities, even though, I mean, there's no proof of any connection between these cultures and they are timed quite a few thousand years apart. Right. Um, Sardinia has a pre-Nuragic culture, but the Nuragic culture came quite a bit later than Malta. Um, but still, it, it's just interesting because we, we like to think that they started off farming and then they became, uh, the Neolithic people became more settled. They had more time for, let's say, craft specializations and then had enough time, apparently, to invest in building all these megaliths. But it doesn't seem that gradual because if there's a gap between the farming communities and then the megalith builders, um, it does seem rather sudden that they were able to accomplish that. Mm. Um, and the the monuments here are on a par with um, age wise with some in Scotland and in Western Europe, like in Portugal and Spain. Right. So, but Sicily doesn't really have any megaliths. Like a few dolmens, that's it. And dolmens are normally attributed to the Bronze Age later, anyway. But um, yeah, so it's so strange because they say the early Neolithic farmers came from southeast Sicily to Malta, and started their agriculture here they found they realized that the the archaeologists because of the similarities between the pottery styles um but the megalith builders that then started you know putting together these temples 800 years later 
no one's really sure where they came from. And, and strangely enough, the megalith um, kind of trend wasn't happening in Sicily, which is the nearest neighbor. Hmm. Yeah, and it could, do you think it could have been like maybe just the soils better on Malta or something kind of like that? Or do you think it's just a better general location to do that kind of stuff? I mean, I don't know why the early farmers came here. The megalith builders, that's kind of a mystery. Um, right. If they even did come from Sicily, because there's no precursor to, to it, to the to the building activity. But the farmers, I mean, I don't know. They're, obviously, there's, there's way more resources on Sicily. It's a much, much bigger set of islands. Sure. And the mainland is huge. It takes hours to drive across. Um, and it's a little bit further north. So technically, the climate and soil would be a little bit better, I guess. Um, so I don't know. No, no one really knows. That's the thing. <laughs> and I find that really fascinating about those early farmers that landed up here in 6000 BCE sure. and then the, the later megalith builders as well. What if there was a connection between those two cultures and if they really all did come from Sicily and and why they decided to make the move and where they learned how to do all of these things. Sure. And I mean, who knows what the conditions were like on Earth at the time and some regions could have been having issues or some sort of cataclysm or catastrophe that they had to deal with and move around and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um, all right, we get into the temples, the, uh, Gigantia, uh, temples mm -hmm. and, uh, I'll pull the first one up here. And, uh, this is the slide, the external wall approaching from the Northwest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Gigantia is in Gozo in the village of Shara. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's got an amazing museum attached to it. And, um, I mean, none of the trilithon entrances are intact, but there's a lot of um, structure there hmm. that survived since 3600 BC. So one of the oldest temples on the island. Um, and what's fascinating about it is Shara, the village in Gozo, where, where you find this temp these two temples, that village itself has so many interesting megalithic sites. So it has the Shara stone circle, which is a hypogeum. It has this, the remains of a temple called the Santa Verna Temple. It's called that because a medieval chapel was built on it later. And then there are various uh, scattered megaliths. There's a cave which has temple period pottery sherds in it. There's um, what could be a dolmen, but it's never been excavated. So um, experts aren't sure if it's actually natural but it's protected just in case. So that plateau itself, just that one village has so many sites and it's, it's super fascinating. Like, was that a hub or is it just that every kind of area of Malta and Goza was covered in megaliths? It's just that some of them didn't survive because mm. it does look like there was a very intense amount of monuments throughout the islands. You mentioned like a, period where people kind of just disappeared or there's just no like records of, of anything mm. uh do you think it could have been a, a situation similar to maybe easter island where they just kind of were locked on the island and they ran out of resources and that kind of a thing or do you think it's something where they were just moving around or possibly just island hopping at that point well this um monograph i i read recently I don't think they have an explanation for the fifth millennium hiatus, the gap between the farmers and the megalith builders. They do have some rough idea about why the temple people disappeared later on, because there's a gap between when the temple people left and the Bronze Age. 
the Bronze Age settlers came into the island and they're a completely fresh population. Right. And that was to do with um, env- environmental degradation, essentially. Mm-hmm. But that earlier one, no, there's, it doesn't seem to be any explanation for it. I mean, you can sort of surmise that that might have been the case. Um, that they just went to find better resources elsewhere. Right. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. That's why, you know, there's a lot. I, th- I think mm-hmm. there's probably more mystery surrounding Malta than there is a lot of other European. So, I mean, you can, you can look at like uh, Scarabray or Stonehenge or, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of these other sites. But I think this one, at least to me, invokes a lot more mystery. Um, yeah, for sure. All right. We got the first, uh, is it apes? A-S- apes? How do you pronounce that? A-P-S-E. Apes. Uh, on the right yeah. in the South Temple. And an apse is just like a a circular cutout, right? Like I think in church, mm. it's used in church building or churches. Yeah, exactly. So apse just means semicircular. And yeah. uh, all of the temple sites, more or less, well, all the temples are semicircular and usually symmetrical. So you walk through the entrance and there's two apses, one on either side, and then another two apses, and then one at the very end of the corridor which is either a full semicircular apse or a, a niche, which mm. they suppose they had um, statues in or something like that, um, or an altar. But the, um, there are also more irregular structures, irregular lobed structures, and some rectangular buildings. But uh, the majority of the megalithic sites are like this. And each apse, some are undecorated, but many that are still fairly intact you can see steps going in and author stats and what looks like altars um in this one that that we can see on the screen a single betel was found so just a, a stone monolith was mm. found in there which is in the museum at the moment and obviously the relevance of that no one knows right and you can see it's presumed it was ritual activity of some kind right and it looks like there's some cyclopean masonry obviously this was probably earlier than uh, Mycenae, but I mean that's what I would oh, call yeah. that's what I would call it. Obviously, I mean even if it predates uh, Mycenae and a lot of the uh, the stonework there, but that's what it looks like to me. It looks like they just filled in a bunch of uh, you know little cracks. But like in terms of what do you think these sites were used for? Did they have a religion? Was it more like idol worship? Was it more pagan paganistic style worship kind of a thing? Like what do you think was going on? Well. I mean, the theory is that they were practicing some sort of animal sacrifice and ritual feasting. Hmm. And that was, I mean, for what purpose, we don't know. But I'm interested in the intersection between ritual symbolism and, well, practicality. I mean, hmm. the people had to eat, right? So there is right. a practical aspect. If, you, if the monuments were aligned uh, with the solstices and equinoxes, which it looks as though some of them were, then that would also make sense because early farmers needed to monitor the calendar. But then there's lots of things that don't make sense, like decorated altars and um, figurines. And it's highly possible that there's a ritualistic aspect in that. So, I mean, I'm not sure. And no one is 100% sure. But it does look like there is an intersection between ritual and uh, practicality, practical purpose of the temples. and the and the kind of the symbolism there's quite a lot of um symbols as well that you mm. find within them so yeah no one really knows but it's it's fascinating to think was it a, like a fully fledged religion like what obviously they were not domestic sites they've 
the experts have found domestic sites. Um, so they do see these as being something that people visited for ritualistic purposes and group feasting. Um, but what that entailed, we don't know. And even the hypogea, so the Shara stone circle, it does look as though it was definitely used for, for burial only. Hmm. But the House Aplieni hypogeum looks to have had a mixed use. So partly for burials and partly for ritual. And, and personally, I kind of get excited about the idea when, whenever I've been to the hypogeum. Is I kind of see it as being to do with some sort of initiations or something like that. Sure. It's, it's really spooky down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. I have a picture of the interior entrance so you can kind of see. And there's a lot of speculation that it resonates at certain frequencies. And maybe it's a great place to like meditate or alter your consciousness in some way. As you mentioned, probably associated with some sort of yeah, ritual or uh, ritual or initiation. Um, yeah, see. exactly. And I mean, when you go down there, it's a, a supervised tour and of ten people, and obviously you don't get to go around on on your own and meditate and see what noises things make. But right, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely there's a lot of experiments been done down there, so it's quite it's quite interesting to think it could have been for something like that. All right, now we uh, pulled up the hearth. So what's going on here? So most of the sites have these hearths, which must have been for preparing food for the sacrifice and the, from the sacrifice or for the feast. I mean, there's evidence of burn marks in these hearths. Do you think and that... It, so do you think that um, these temples were set up more like a... Uh, I mean, because there are similar sites, I think, you know, like like I mentioned, Scarabray, there are some that have hearths and uh, mm -hmm. similar building structures. And actually, there are some symbols, too. You mentioned symbolism. I noticed there's some of those, like, uh, galaxy-looking spirals found on Malta and some of the mm -hmm. etchings. And there's also, that's found at, like, Newgrange in Ireland. So um, there are some similarities. But um, what do you think's going on in terms of, um, the way that they built was there a specific symbolism, almost like a uh, like a temple of man from Egypt, like a uh, uh, I don't even know, like a Schwaller de Lubitz style symbolism within the building, kind of a thing, or do you think it was just more functional? I don't know. I mean, the the spiral motifs they all look kind of decorative, and the pitted motifs those are the two most common. So you've got lots and lots of spirals at Toshien. And nearly every temple site has these um, has temp has pitted megaliths mm. in it. Could just be decorative, or it could be something to do with you know cycle of life. I don't know, um, mm. or the stars, because um, the pitting looks a bit like the cosmos. So I mean, the, it, it's open to interpretation. There are also um, sites where there are a lot of animal carvings, which would make sense if they were ritualistic sites where animal sacrifice was taking place. It's hmm. interesting. And have they found hmm. like animal bone fragments at in these temples or near the Yes, hearth? yes. There's a lot of animal bones, um, flint knives for preparing the food. Um, yeah, loads of um, pottery really large giant vessels like huge almost as big as me wow. and um but they're quite cool because they have like um 
at Tarshien, there's one that's got like a little cup or was uh, a cup handle on the side, but obviously it cannot be picked up right? because it's absolutely giant stone vessel. But that would make sense. If they were doing a group feasting, that would make sense. Sorry, I'm having issues with my tripod. It's playing with me today. No, no, you're, <laughs> you're okay. I know this is live, but I'm having to play around. No, it's, Otherwise, uh, this is, I'm going to go completely out of view soon. This is what happens with a live show. You've got to, you know, make you it work. On, yeah, you got to make it work yeah. on the go and. You know, we'll have you on again. So even if we don't get to everything or it doesn't, you know, sound perfect, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely next time. We'll I mean, I don't have a producer. I am the producer. So <laughs> yeah, I've got yeah, like yeah. So many tables and laptop and camera and phone and well, uh, if you tripod have, and light. If you ever need technical <laughs> advice, I'm here. You know, we're here to help. If you have any questions, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, that would be great. Because um, I bought a microphone and it's it's not working, so yeah. I'm having to use my phone one. Um, yeah. So the I mean, so these giant vessels are, are intriguing. Okay, that's fine. They make sense. Of course, you're going to have giant vessels if, as a group, you come together to do this ritual feasting. But the um, but they also have these tiny, tiny vessels. Right. So so small, which must have held something special, um, like a condiment or some or, or alcohol or something that would. It's only be taken in small doses. I, I mentioned to you maybe even possibly like an entheogen uh, or some sort of mind-altering substance. And I know, you know, even Peganum harmala, which is found all over the Middle East and that region, uh, is an MAOI inhibitor. So even just taking that would, you know, change your um, your uh, your serotonin or your your gut receptors, your enzymes, so it doesn't break down. So you're more likely to experience, you know, things that have psychoactive compounds in them. So, uh, I don't, you know, obviously we know about the Eleusinian mysteries and there's a bunch of other, mm. um, ancient s sites and civilizations that have been associated with entheogens and psychedelics. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to speculate too, because, you know, just because one civilization does something doesn't necessarily mean even a close by similar, uh, civilization is doing something similar. So. Oh yeah, um, and there, there had this had to be something special that was that was in these small pots. So I mean, it's entirely possible. I don't think any experiments have ever been done, or any um, substances have been found. Um, similar thing when it comes to um, well, we'll get to it on the slides, but the libation holes hmm. at the threshold to many temples or the threshold to an apse. Um, you have to walk across a paving slab that's got loads of holes in it. So it's a bit inconvenient, impractical. And um, experts used to say, well, their favorite theory was that these were for um, pouring libations of some sort of liquid um, when you enter. But now they're not sure. There was um, this theory once again in the monograph temple places of the Frexus project. Um, it was suggested in there that maybe they were for wooden stakes and had schools on top or something mm. like animal schools. So, um, were they making yeah. wine or were they making beer? They have no idea. No, no idea. There's, okay. I, I don't think any of that sort of research has been done here. I can't find any. Right. Has there um, ever been any ever evidence of uh, growing wheat or grain on the island? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, because yeah, there's loads of work on the agricultural side of it. Because then you could definitely. Um, obviously make beer if you have yeast and you know mm. even in egypt that's how they find uh you'll find the bread maker next to the brewery obviously because of the <laughs> yeast and i know here you know even as i mentioned psychedelics you know claviceps perpea the precursor to lsd is actually grown 
on grain. So uh, that's how they looked into the uh, entheogen use with the Eleusinian uh-huh. Mysteries. So just grain in itself yeah. is huge, you know, in yeah, terms yeah. of figuring that out. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go to the next one here, the hinge. <laughs> yeah, so the um, in most of the temple sites, you see these these holes. They're actually joined. They're like a tunnel. And the experts say they must have been for um, it's kind of like primitive hinges, which held a material that blocked the entranceway. And that material is now decomposed. Mm. Maybe it was you know, wood or leather or something. Um, and the hinges are always like opposite each other. So and then some doors or orthostats on the side of the doors have loads of them. So it would indicate that certain apses were shielded from the audiences. Um, and sometimes you have like several stages as you go through the temple where you have all these barriers to entry. So it's as if there was some sort of a ritual or ceremony taking place. Mm. And, you know, maybe started that certain people had access um, to, to maybe just the first apps. And then once they, I don't know, went through, let's say, an initiation or they um, or if they were linked with like the priestly group that kind of ran the temple they could go into the further um apses or niches which were really shielded off from the general audience right what about um so like in terms of like creating these cutting the blocks and creating these holes and cutting out these little you know round hinges were they using stone obviously because before the bronze age you didn't really have metallurgy that would have allowed them to really get in there. I don't know what kind of stone that is. I guess it depends on the hardness of the stone, but mm-hmm. um, were they using other stone tools? Like you mentioned earlier, like flint, um, were they using like uh, that, you know, that, those kinds of stone tools? Or do you think that they had some sort of soft metal that they somehow incorporated into making this stuff? I mean, I, I think they, they found um, a lot of obsidian. Okay. Obsidian tools and obsidian um, isn't found on Malta, so it That's seems that these people were importing obsidian from volcanic islands in the area. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and that and that's obviously a lot harder. And the limestone here, the worked limestone like globulina, it's very soft, so that would actually be quite easy to do. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. And I know, I mean, some people even debate even in Egypt or like the bronze age or, uh, how were these people using these? Because the debate I know in Egypt is the copper tools that they supposedly used were, had like a small percentage of arsenic, but a lot of people, you know, claim that there's no way that you could, and I think people have even tried to recreate it, but those holes, those like perfect, perfect, uh, cutout holes in granite. You know, that would take you forever to cut one of those holes using just a piece of copper with a little bit of arsenic in it. So, I mean, I, and, and something like this, like you mentioned, the stone's a little bit softer, so maybe it's not as big of a mystery, but I still find it fascinating. Well, I mean, I still think it's impressive because remember, there isn't just one temple. I mean, there are so many, and it looks like there could have been even hundreds across the islands, um, many contemporary with each other. And Aside from obviously moving and erecting megaliths, which is very difficult and should be kind of impossible for the Neolithic period, you have all of these um, finely carved figurines. You have these holes that Mm -hmm. are um, obviously done for practical or functional purposes. 
You have menhirs that just don't have a structural function, huge menhirs just stuck against the side of buildings. Um, you have portals, loads of these portals that are carved out, which I think must be quite difficult to do um, from a structural perspective. So the, it, it, there, it is a bit of a mystery as to how they managed all of that, but that's the same with all megalithic cultures. I mean, Malta has its own unique characteristics right. um, attributable to the megalithic period. But in general, as with all the other megalithic sites globally, no one really knows how they managed to pull it off. <laughs> yeah. And it, it does have its own very distinct like look too. just even like the style and the um, architecture and just even the look of the rock and like the fine detail. It just kind of has its own thing compared to other European uh, prehistory and Bronze Age mm -hmm. sites. Uh, all right, let's get to this hole for the door barrier here. Yeah, so you have um, the, also not necessarily a hinge, but the, this hole, there's one on the orthostat on the opposite side of that corridor, and it looks as though something was put through them, like to make a barrier mm. to, the, to the entrance to the last three um, apses. Yeah, that's so interesting. So that's quite, and there's a few that are like that. That's a deep, um, that's a thick hole. I mean, that's... The stone, for anybody that's listening, is really thick, and there's just a giant hole through it. And it, uh -huh. it looks kind of precise. It doesn't look like it was like laser cut or anything like that, but it does look like it's pretty precise. Exactly. So that's quite, um, that's quite interesting. And I've, I've mentioned before on, um, on my video, apart from these holes, there, is, there are so many holes in the <laughs> temples that no one really knows what they're for. So there's the hole they call the oracle hole, which is where they where the experts assume that a person of like, let's say an elite person or a priest or um, whatever was inside talking to an audience outside through the hole, mm. potentially doing something divinatory, which is why they call it the Oracle hole. Um, but obviously there's no way of knowing what those Oracle holes were really used for. And then I've noticed also at various sites, um, I just call them viewing holes, just just holes that just don't seem to have a structural purpose and are just like in a in a megalith on the outside of the building. And I always wonder if that's to view stars or something, especially right. because when you look through them, you can see certain hills in the distance and notches on the hills and, and gaps with the valleys. And, you know, th there are lots of landmarks that could have been used for that. So that's something I wonder about. And then obviously the libation holes I mentioned before. So. I mean, in reality, there's names uh, um, given to all of these things. They all have labels, but no one really knows what they were for or if they were all linked or if they were to do with ritual or structure. I mean, even this might not be for a door barrier. It could have been for something totally different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you you know, there's all sorts of, I'm sure, weird explanations that you could go down. Um, let's move on here to the your, you, what you were mentioning earlier, which is the libation holes. Mm-hmm. I've, I can't find any re research. I mean, I would like to talk to some of the um, experts um, on this, but these, um, they don't seem to have excavated any of these holes, you know, gone, got the soil out, seen how deep they go and see if there's any kind of substance or remnants of a substance in there. I can't find any, anything on that, but I'll, I'll, I would like to talk to a few people and see if there's any research being done or likely to be done in the future on that 
So it's fascinating that so many sites have these. So since you live there and you're able to just go to these sites, is there, do you have to take a tour or can you just go to these sites? Oh, no, only the Hypergeum, the House of Lienie Hypergeum, you have to take a tour. Um, the other sites that are open to the public, you just get a ticket and go. And do you, do they ever have, like, is there something, like, do the tours, do they have a lot of, like, archaeological uh, information on these sites? Or, like, how are how is this being presented to the public? I mean, some do. <laughs> the UNESCO World Heritage Sites are great because they've got the huge museums attached um, and lots and lots of information going around. Okay. But some of the smaller sites, I mean, obviously not. And then some are close to the public. So I've, um, I've made appointments to go and see those. That's interesting. Well, that's pretty and, cool that they trust people not to break anything. Oh, they have lots of security. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if you make an appointment, which anybody can do, they just uh, contact Heritage Monitor and, go, and they can um, be allowed access to a site. Usually a security person is there all the time anyway, and then someone else will come and like, let you in. That's cool. But those sites are difficult to make out, obviously, because they're still being excavated and it's just right. like lots of ruins. But these other ones are quite well laid out. The only thing is that obviously a lot of areas are roped off. And you're just thinking a bit like when you go to a castle and you want to see what's behind the door and you just want to go and look at the areas huh. that are behind the ropes. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, so here we have the presumed altar structure. Um, and is that, are those. I mean, it looks like there's maybe four little, um, like, uh, structures with lentils on top. Um, mm -hmm. but it looks like one, may maybe one separated in the middle, which kind of reminded me of like, you know, the three openings and, you know, the some of the pyramids and, you know, how they, the connections at the bottom and stuff like that. It kind of gave me that kind of a vibe when I was looking at this site. Ah, it does look a bit like that. And I mean... The word altar is used quite loosely because we still don't know what sort of rituals were taking place in the temples or whether they actually were being used as, as what we consider um, to be altars. But there are so many different types of um, altar as well. So you have this structure with like the, these um, vertical um, slabs, orthostats with horizontal slabs laid on top. And then there are other more decorative altars hmm. um and and then there's like a mushroom shaped one and then there's one that's trapezoid shaped so it, it, it's kind of strange because you think what what were they doing why did they need so many different types of altar yeah and what was, was really taking place there and were they altars <laughs> and how how much um of a time gap is there between like this one and that first altar that we saw um in the slideshow which was the first one? Oh, the, the the apps. Um, the first apps. Yeah, mm -hmm. Gigantia. So these these are the same. These are the same temple. These are both in Gigantia. Okay. And they're both uh, built at the same time. So that the South Temple at Gigantia was built in uh, around three thousand six hundred BCE. Yeah. And then a... the North Temple was built a bit later. Like I think it's uh, they dated it about a hundred years later. Which even then, if you think about it, you're talking several generations so it's still quite a, a time gap and why did they add to the temples or build more temples and yeah this right. is quite interesting because I've, I've mentioned this as well before um most of the temples the, they don't just come on their own they come with more than one structure 
some kind of irregular structures or several very clear apsidal temples around like a forecourt. Mm. But then that cluster is usually near, that complex is usually near another complex. They're almost like clustered into zones. Mm. And sometimes there are, there, are, there are age differences between them and sometimes they're contemporary with one another. So, and if there really were that many in Malta at that time, what was going on? Because if this um, was, if these were ritual centers to support local farming communities, how big did these farming communities have to be? First of all, to have the resources and labor to build this stuff. And second of all, to, to use it. Because, you, you know, you're thinking this, that's a pretty big population that would need, that would be able to build it and that would need to use this many temples with temples right. also used quite loosely um it seems strange just the fact there's so many on such a small island hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of interesting. And to point out anybody that's listening, we're looking at a picture of an altar, and it looks similar actually to like three mini portaras of Nexos from Greece kind of stacked next Mm -hmm. to each other with some large... Uh, megalithic stones separating them. That's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from this. Uh, let's keep it moving here, though, because I know we have a certain amount of time. We have a <laughs> decent amount of slides left. Here's just another picture of it, like a further back picture, so you can kind of see. And again, you have mm-hmm. Cyclopean masonry kind of surrounding uh, the structure. Um, what's is there some stylistic thing that has to do with all those like little holes that are found um, carved into some of these sites? I, I've seen it a few times, and there's that one. Um, there's that one site. I think it's uh, it's the one I have as my background right now. When people are watching this in the beginning of this, um, but yeah, there's like those like little like divots that they carved into the the, the lentil and then the side uh, stones. I don't know if that means anything or. I have no idea. Okay. Um, probably something structural, though, I would think. Okay. How do you pronounce this now? Is it Hagar Kim? Hajar, Hajarim. Hajarim. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we get to the Hajarim temples here. I mean, even me. Look at me laughing. Um, I'm sure that all my Maltese friends will be watching and thinking, Laura, that isn't how you say it. But it's closer than what you're going to manage. So let's right, just right. leave it at that. Well, like I mentioned, you know, I'll mention it again. It's just um, it's a very interesting language and you know the the structure of it and the pronunciations and everything so obviously it's very different than a lot of other places in europe in that sense um Mm -hmm. but uh, all right so here we have the external altar and the oracle hole Mm, so this is quite an interesting section at hajayim because it's an external altar which is not usual in the temples and it's got this trapezoid altar shape I mean, that's also, I haven't seen that anywhere else. And then the hole on the right, which you can just make out, that's what is referred to as the oracle hole. It's quite low down. And it seems strange to think that there was some sort of a a priest figure inside that apse talking through that hole. I don't know. Um, But it's a theory. 
And then to, to the far, far right of that, you can see that men here, which doesn't have a structural function. And it's just kind of stuck to the outside wall of, uh, of the temple, the main temple at mm. Hajjaim. So it had to, I mean, this is what, what I find interesting. Okay, if, if the ancients said, right, we're going to build these giant megalithic structures because they last a long time. Small bricks don't last as long. This is why we want to do it. Let's say they, they did it for purely practical reasons and they wanted it to last generations, which, you know, it did. Um, but then why these men here and why betels and why all these like random stone blocks which don't, which are not related to the structure? There had to have been something ritualistic in how they worked with stone and, right. and appreciated it. Absolutely, and I don't know yeah. what that association would be, but there seems to be like some kind of well, it's a strong word, but like stone worship or something. And um, so, how in terms of like the oracle is it kind of a similar like when people talk about or what you've heard is it similar to like the oracle of Delphi in a way? Because I know, and and my, yeah. I guess I guess my follow up would be: is there any sort of natural gases? Is is it? near faults or is there volcanic activity in the area because i know that's one of the theories of the oracle of delphi is that natural gases were coming up from the ground and the oracle would inhale them and they were psychedelic and then she would come up with some visions and then tell whoever the king or the visitor was what they're seeing or experiencing is it some similar to that or is it just more just a priest no, or priestess I mean, there doesn't seem to be any well it's not a volcanic island um and they have, there is a lot of fault, like fault lines and stuff, yeah. and, and it, they've noticed that some of these um, temples were built near springs that have long since dried up, but there would have originally been springs there. And then you can sort of think, okay, that it's practical to be near a water source for agriculture and obviously for the people attending the temple to drink water. And at the same time, because in later mythology, water and water nymphs became, you know, a really important mm. part of classical antiquity and uh, and that the, these later cultures basically you could say okay maybe that has its origin in these um in these neolithic people and they they worshipped water in a way or they had some sort of um rituals to do with springs mm. but in terms of gases I, I mean i haven't heard anything to do with that and I, I wouldn't i wouldn't think so um but one thing i've noticed about the oracle of delphi because I went there once sightseeing, and it's one heck of a walk to the top. Oh, and sure. I just think those people were fit. <laughs> like they, <laughs> they really wanted to get their, uh, their reading, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Greeks did pride themselves on their fitness, and obviously uh, it's where the Olympics came from and everything. So. Yeah, crikey, it's, it's <laughs> insane. But, um, but this, yeah, I mean, we'd, so we don't know if it was really used for oracles as such or or if it was being used um, to, to create some sort of communication between like a holy inner area and an outside Do they think the top was like, area. do you think that was enclosed or like everything was covered except for the hole? Yeah. Or? Okay. It, it's thought there was um, a roof because you can see corbeling okay. on some of the structures. So it looks like it, they originally had a roof. I always wonder this though. I always think maybe there wasn't a roof, a totally covered roof. Maybe they had the small holes like the oculus right. in the middle. I don't know, just something... And I wouldn't I think, think it would be like an observatory be. either, or like some sort of astronomical observatory, like some 
you know, other sites have where you kind of look through a, a portal or like a hole and it kind of looks towards the stars. This one's very ground level to anybody that's listening. It's, um, you'd be looking kind of just straight on, uh, like probably what, like a foot or two off the ground. Uh-huh. Um, all right. So here yeah. we get the, the men here, uh, with no structural function. Yep. And there's a, the wood, the stone benches on either side of it. Well, they're also referred to as benches without really their purpose being known. But it's thought that people, when they were coming to do whatever they were doing at the temple, they waited on the benches outside because there's so many of these like stone benches going around the outside of the temples. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And well, I threw a slide in there later, but there's a bench with the the goddess um, mother kind of feet at the bottom, which is like Mm -hmm. holding the bench up, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's like half statue, half bench pretty much mm-hmm. in so. Tarshan mm-hmm. alright uh, Hajar Keem is that correct Keem All right. you li- li- leave out the Q okay. Hajar the strange thing in Maltese there's a lot of um, letters that you just don't pronounce sure <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, it's not too bad if you know when you're learning if you um, read it writ- written down okay but then when people start talking, it's just, it's just too many missing right. letters. <laughs> and this is looks like another one of those uh, apps is kind of like a circular cutout. Um, and uh, I know this wasn't one of yours, so we'll keep it moving. I just wanted to throw that in there. Well, that, that's the oracle oh. hole there. That's the oracle hole from the inside of the apps. So what you can see next to the trapezoid altar in the previous slide, this is the inside. That looks, that looks, that's interesting because it looks completely different. It looks like there's more space when you're looking at it from Mm -hmm. the outside, like more cut out to see around it. But on this Uh view, it looks like it's way more enclosed. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. Strange. Here we have uh, those spirals I was mentioning, which, um, like I I meant, can be found at other European megalithic sites. Specifically, Mm -hmm. I know Newgrange has a ton of them uh, in Ireland. Um, and obviously I don't, I think, um, some people have speculated, obviously it's has to do with like astronomical or like the stars, basically like some sort of symbolism for that, or, you know, spiral galaxy, you know, tracking the stars, that kind of a thing. Uh, do they know what these were? Is there any speculations on what these were at, uh, Malta? Um, no, I mean, I haven't really come across much information on the ones here. Um, just sort of surmise they could be decorative uh personally i think there's definitely something symbolic going on there okay but i'm not sure what um and i mean the thing with motifs is they can develop in different places independently so it doesn't necessarily mean there's a connection between mortar and newgrange but i don't know the ancients were pretty obsessed with certain symbols right (laughs) so absolutely and here's the thing is like, whether you want to look at these things from an alternative perspective or a mainstream archaeological perspective, mainstream archaeology says that all these different pyramids that all around the world popped up at the same time because that's just what the consciousness of humanity was at the time. So even if there wasn't people getting around, um, actually, you know, becoming, you know, coming in contact with each other, civil, different civilizations, um, you, that could be the explanation too. That's just where human consciousness was at the time where, we're tracking stars or galaxies or whatever, and we're using um, uh, we're using you know symbolism to kind of convey what 
you know, they were experiencing uh, through their consciousness, looking at the night sky kind of a thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's possible, but I don't know. I still, I'm still drawn to the idea that there's some sort of a connection. I'm just not sure exactly what it was. Sure. I'm drawn to that too. I just, I like to point out both sides of it, you know, and let people uh-huh. kind of decide for themselves. Cause I think that's ultimately what we should all be doing. Just putting credible information out there and let people kind yeah. of decide. And I think that leads to probably more discoveries too, when you're not putting like a narrative behind mm-hmm. something. Exactly. And I love it when you're talking to people and they just come up with an idea you haven't thought of, you know, cause I like to bring this up at dinner parties or whatever. Sure. And people that are not even necessarily interested in history, you know, I'll, I'll show them something and they'll say, Oh, did did you never ever, uh, didn't you think it could be this? And I yeah. think, oh wow! And because everybody comes from different backgrounds in terms of their skill set and knowledge, you can really get some interesting insights that way. Sure. All right, here we have the North Temple. Mm-hmm. Now this is at Hajarim. Um, so you've got the main temple which you can walk around where the Oracle Hall is, and then the North Temple you can't access that one. Um, it's quite far, like thirty meters away from the main temple and it's all roped off um but yeah the the it's quite striking because you can see the the threshold at the entrance and obviously one huge man here that's still remaining so and is it all the same a, stone too at all the sites or is there like grant like granite quarries is, or is it all just one type of stone it's all limestone but different types of limestone okay. so glo- sorry i'm not good at pronouncing this but globigerina and <laughs> upper coralline yeah. Upper Caroline, Coraline is the one that's coarser and more difficult to work with. Gotcha. So that tends to be used for walls if it was the nearest um, rock available. But then for the interior of the temples, for the furniture and carvings, usually Globigerina was used, and that was then brought from further away if necessary. Okay. That's interesting. All right, here we have the portal a- uh, entrance to an a- apps, um, and you can kind of see there that cutout. Uh, which is, again, kind of interesting. Um, I love these because they're so small. It's really hard to show on on camera, but they're really quite difficult to fit through, mostly. Yeah, how, how big is to, that cutout? Like, is would you say it's two, three feet? Like, shorter than me. Yeah, like three or four feet. Okay. So you'd have to and, kind of crouch down to kind of get through it. Uh-huh. And, and then, of course, that instead of a doorway, there are portals, so you have to lift your feet up to climb mm. through. And there are loads of them in the temples. And in Tarshan, especially, there's some really good examples. And this one is in Hajarim. And they're also in Amnidra near Hajarim. And I just find it strange. Like, not, it's not useful. They're not practical. Um, and there must have been some reason why, why they did that. <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's not like a normal doorway where you have, you know, the side um, stones and then like a lentil on top or something like that. Like, this is... Uh, and actually, they have they have used that as we showed that one site at uh, Gigantia, the mm-hmm. uh, the altar area that had what I'm talking about. So this is something like you mentioned, maybe something completely different that had something to do with a ritual or some weird thing that we're just mm-hmm. not aware of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, so here we have the Trilithon entrance, uh, which is exactly what I was talking about, which would be the side stones with the lentil on top, um, and it's very it looks very thick. And very sturdy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is Hajarim. Hajarim is unusual because normally you go through the, the first entrance, and there is only one entrance, and then you have the apses on the side, and then, as I said before, either a terminal apse or a niche at the end of the corridor. 
But this one has another exit at the end of the corridor. Mm. And also one of the apses seems to have been opened up and turned into a sort of a corridor. And then there's another four apses tacked on. So the theory is that it went through a period of remodeling at some point in its history. And since the temple people were here for more than a thousand years, which is many generations, I guess it makes sense that their rituals um, changed or what they needed the temples for. What uh, is what's the heaviest um, block? Like, do they have like some block that's just by far the heaviest that they don't ha- have any knowledge that, of a way to move it or anything like that? I think it is one of the ones that has which is fifty six tons. Wow. Yeah. Still not uh, as big as the blocks in Giza, but that's still pretty impressive, especially since you probably have way less of a population to figure yeah. out how to get that thing around. And this is older. Or, yeah, yeah, a know. lot older. Or yeah. maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Uh, yeah. And they just um, found that piece yeah. of wood, right? That uh, lady, uh, some woman archaeologist in, I believe, Scotland found a piece of wood uh, from the Great Pyramid that was used that dates back, I think, it was like 500 to 1,000 years older than the dating of the pyramids in Giza. So. Uh-huh. It's fascinating. It's, it, you know, it's, I think that's what I... When I first started reading books on ancient history, it was all about Egypt and hieroglyphs and everything. I was just absolutely fascinated by it. And that's what then drew me into getting to know more about the past. And again, uh, we got a few more slides here, but I just want to point out, please go check out Laura's uh, channel on YouTube. It's great. They're short but concise and very uh, information-packed videos. So if you like this kind of stuff, definitely go check it out. Um, And she goes through some of the more controversial things and sites that are found on Malta. So uh, go check that out. Uh, and I, again, I have the link down below. Uh, so this is kind of what I was talking about, these little divots that are carved into the doorway or the portal at, uh, I don't know, was it, is it Imnajra in Rendi? Is that? Uh, ta- so yeah, Imnajra is right next to Hajarim. It's like 500 meters away. Okay. So, so it's the same um, UNESCO World Heritage Site. So you go first to the museum, then you enter Hajarim, and then you go downhill 500 meters to Amnidra, and on a hot day, it's quite a climb back up. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so yeah, there's these decorative like little dimples that are kind of mm. carved in, and is then you don't know, they don't have any idea what that, it was just decorative or? Well, I mean, there could be decorative, could be to do with um, the cosmos and stars. Yeah. Um, but the, these ones are not so interesting because they they do look ma- mostly decorative. Right. Um, but there is there are two other orthostats on the side of an altar and a nidra where there are these like drill marks, mm. and there's just a few of them, and they're all in different. They're in lines as if they're a counting system, and more are going to be added. So those ones are really interesting, and they're they're um, not. They they definitely cannot be decorative. They they must have been for something, right. but no one really knows what. And they if you um if you read up on it, people say it had to be something to do with um counting either a calendar or something to do with the stars. Or yeah, that makes like sense. That. I actually kind of was thinking about something like you know something similar, yeah. uh, like counting the years or days or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'll point this out, and you mentioned this earlier. You have the the lintel with the large stones on each side, and then you also have a portal within that, which is kind of interesting. Like, what's the function? There is no real functionality of that. If you wanted to just create a doorway, you wouldn't put that portal in the middle of it. 
Well, no, it'd be a pain, wouldn't it? And just yeah. climb through, and then you've got like two altars, um, like a an altar behind it, and then another altar on top, which is called altars, but we don't know if they were. Um, yeah, it's just impractical. Mm. So, yeah, it definitely has to have some sort of symbolic purpose. Like maybe when you enter through it, there's another a certain kind of ritual that takes place, yeah. and there needs to be some something that demarcates the line, you know, the two worlds. So whatever you're practicing on this side, and then whatever you're practicing on that side, there has to be some sort something to demarcate that. That's the only thing I can think of. Here we get to I threw this one here. Uh, tar, is it Tarjin? Is that yeah, Tarjin? All right, Tarjin. Um, you have the mother goddess, the bottom there. You can see those two uh, mm-hmm. feet. And then you have like what you mentioned earlier, kind of like a bench on top. Um, so, you know, is that some sort of symbolism, obviously, for, you know, the almost like how the Venus is the symbol is or symbol for um, like, a you know, pregnant woman or, you know, a uh, uh-huh. something like that is do they have any explanations for this kind of stuff there? Or? Uh, no, but you find that the experts and the archaeologists they kind of don't like to talk about goddess worship because they technically could be androgynous symbols. It's not really clear. Okay. Um, and yeah, of course, uh, there's a possibility that they were fertility um, goddesses or something to do with Mother Nature, or maybe they represented an elite class that was in charge of these this culture. Um, yeah, it's not really, no one really knows. Um, and you mentioned earlier possible like stone worship. So if that's, you know, that could represent something like that, like um, some mm. sort of mother goddess associated with the but stone you've got worship. So, you've got so many of them as well, because um, you've got giant ones like this, which unfortunately there's not much of this one left, but it would have been a lot taller than me. Mm. Um, so you've got these huge statues, then there's the smaller figurines. Then some of them are headless and have little holes where it looks as though heads were just sort of inserted. Sure. So then you could say, okay, is that because the priest or priestess changes? So they change the head according to who's in the role or, or something like that, maybe. Um, I don't know. And I've been kind of working out some of my own theories on this, but I haven't. It's, it's a bit tricky to articulate it at this point because I still want to do some research on it. But I've got kind of a new idea I'm working on. Okay. Well, I'm, um, sure, I'm sure she'll come out with an, a nice video. It just for sort channel, of came so. to me one day, and I thought, ah, yeah, I think, but I, it's really difficult to articulate. Um, so I'll, I'll save it. But yeah, it's. I think personally that there was definitely something very okay. Because everyone's like, why were they corpulent figurines? Okay, is it because it was to show that they were not hungry, you know, and that they were the right. elite, so therefore they were well-fed and wealthy sure. or something like that um or had it something got something to do with um fertility because at various points in history there's been this kind of theory that um larger women or larger breasted women might be more fertile but that's like obviously not true scientifically right. but in the past some cultures um, may have believed that and that might have been also that's one of the theories about the paleolithic venus figurines um so there's quite a but but the fact I just think there's a much more interesting reason why they were corpulent and that's what I'm working on okay. explaining because that kind of gets left out the whole being drawn to the fact there's a giant statue of potentially a woman is is drawn everyone into this whole mother nature goddess thing but I think there's something a bit 
more interesting going on. All right. That sounds uh, so, fascinating. I'll yeah, let you know when, to I've, see, when yeah. I'm able to articulate it properly, uh, we can do another show. Uh, I'm not even going to, I mean, is this Ta Agrat in Mjar? Ta Agrat, yeah. Okay. And oh, this one, close. this one's actually like a massive uh, portal or doorway with the lentil on top that looks like it's very oversized compared to the rest of the blocks. Um, yeah. What's going on? Is this is this the entrance into the main site there, or? Ah, uh -huh. quite a small site, and there's nothing really decorative there. Okay, it's quite strange, really. It's kind of seen as more of a primitive. Yeah, temple. it looks like more primitive than the other sites that we've seen for sure. But but it's contemporary with them, and um, it's tree foil. There's just three apses, so you walk in, and there's an apse on either side. There's an apse at the end, and then there's like this irregular lobed building to the right. But it's still pretty impressive, like the entranceway, the stairs, and to the left of this entrance is some, a really big megalith as well. Okay. I'm not sure how much it weighs or what it's predicted to weigh, but it's huge. Um, it's about I don't know, seven foot, I think. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, huge in multi, you know? So sure. I, Definitely. So it's seen as a more primitive one, but it is contemporary with the with Gigantia, and it's um, and it's still impressive when you approach it. So, but then inside it's simple, just three apses, and none of them seem to be decorated. Um, and there's only a few finds from this site. So, interesting. Strange. All right. So this is the interesting one, and I think we'll try and have you back on sometime in the near future. Maybe we'll do like a part two because there's just a ton mm -hmm. of stuff that we're not even really going to get to. Uh, on this uh -huh. one but i appreciate your your time and uh you know sending me those pictures ahead of time and everything but um this is the hypogeum um and that's uh al safan is it Sef, uh, Saflieni. <laughs> all right all right yeah. um that's actually one of the more phonetical looking ones out of all of those <laughs> uh but okay so here you have the entrance this is kind of an old picture i believe um um, it's not the entrance. That's um, no, not the entrance. No, when you go um, down into the hypergym, so it's on three levels, and okay. on one of the levels, I believe this is the second one. You okay. have this carving. It doesn't really go anywhere. It's just looks like an overground temple. Mm. So it's carved to look like it. But so it that doorway or that portal doesn't go anywhere. No, I don't. Uh, I don't think so. No, it's okay. just. Um, just a, a door to nowhere which is even more bizarre now i want to look mm. into it even more now that i and know and when that. you go down there you can't really get to this like you're, you're a little bit distant from it and it's just like just want to go up and have a nose around <laughs> but even the corbeling look on the root so this is one of the other reasons there are several reasons why they think the overground temples were roofed because of corbeling the remains of corbeling yeah. because um a figurine was found of a of a temple which had a roof, and because of a carving an Amnijah in one of the megaliths that shows it with a roof. And then this looks as if it's copied that overground temple corbeling for whatever reason we don't know. And that's, um, yeah, and the House Safliani Hypogeum could be for, could have been, had mixed use, as I said, maybe um, at different times in its history. So it could have been used for burials, but it could also have been used for similar rituals to whatever was going on above ground. Mm. So actually here, I'll pull up, this is a, a map of kind of the, the structure as it goes down. You're right, it looks like that part um, is kind of like a dead end, kind of like an offshoot or something. Um, mm -hmm. 
But so when people say like, oh, you know, like resonates or is that the main chamber at the very bottom where a lot of the skulls and skeletons and everything have been found? Is that where people think all that weird stuff happens? Um, no, just um, on the le- the second level down. Okay. You can't access the mo- the bottom layer. That's not open for tours. And and strangely enough, there was never any bones found on the lowest level. But on the first and the second levels, they did find bones. Um, and and schools. Supposedly, and in, people have disappeared exploring those caves, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a story, but it's not really. There's nothing really to substantiate it. There's just, I think, just one kind of reference to it. Right, and you but, did a video um, on that, which people should check out on your channel. Yeah, but the hypogeum is, I mean, from what I understand, it's totally excavated, so the tunnels don't really go anywhere. But it is strange, Immortal, because you, the catacombs and loads of natural caves, because it's a limestone island so um you do get you think this was used maybe for like protection against some sort of cataclysm or some sort of event or maybe a warring you know other similar civilization that nearby you know something like that yeah could be and it's like obviously natural caves because there are so many on the island that have been carved out turned into something um and there is like a, a sort of a room which when you go into it there's um this is where they say that if you make a sound, it vibrates at a certain frequency. Okay. And there's a few rooms or chambers um, throughout the second level. So um, it's very creepy. And there's lots <laughs> of like um, some red ochre on the wall and some checkerboard patterns and lots that of things that survive. The checkerboard I find fascinating. That's an archetype that's obviously associated with a lot of different Empty. things whether you know uh-huh. psychedelic realms and freemasonry and like all sorts of uh-huh. different um you know things that's like an archetype that's found throughout uh, history uh-huh. uh, exactly uh-huh i mean it's it's not easy to make out that last time i went there I, I mean i can't find any photos of it and the tour guide mentioned it and i was trying straining to see what they were referring <laughs> to because it's quite worn but you would expect that I mean, it's five thousand years old um, but I, this is where the figurine of the sleeping lady was found. Okay. And um, there's a theory that it was actually like a goddess um, dre- dreaming or in a trance-like state before she gives an oracle or something. Um, I don't know. It could, there could be many reasons why she was sleeping down there. <laughs> I think um, I, I do like the idea of it being kind of some sort of initiation thing, just like in classical antiquity you have all these different initiation exercises and incubation and where people go into caves for long periods could be something like that but further back in time or as you say potentially there was something that we don't know about um that happened back then right some sort of cataclysm or where they needed to protect themselves they built this like mini underground temple um and try to bring everything they did overground underground Right. And there could be many more of them. I mean, there's, there's House Lapieni, the Shara Stone Circle in Gozo, which it does look um, like it was just a necropolis. It's it's not quite the same. And then near House Lapieni, there's one called Santa Lucia, which has not been properly excavated. It's smaller, um, it's closed off to the public, and it hasn't been properly excavated. So, But they know it's um, from the same time period. Mm. So how many more could there be? I mean, it's really difficult right. to say because how would you know? No, that's interesting. Where I, to look? <laughs> yeah, and I think that uh, as you mentioned, we just you know got to keep looking into these things and hopefully they excavate them and 
uh, you know, we can get a, a deeper look here. And obviously once you get down into the deeper layers, I'm sure they'll find some interesting discoveries. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get out of here though, let's wrap it up with this last little section here on the objects that, you know, have been found on, uh, Malta. Uh, the first one is a decorated altar from, uh, Hajar Im. You know, did I pronounce yep, it? Yeah, that's okay. right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so here you actually have those little dimples that we were mentioning before. Is that like a little bowl on top or like a cup or what is that on top? No, it's 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 flat. It's just okay. a pillar. So is there any theory on what that could be symbolizing or anything? Or I mean, I haven't really read much about this, but I always ask people on Instagram what they think. And the the way that there's this kind of like, spinal arrangement on all four sides so the the dimples obviously you see them in all the temples but there's this kind of spinal arrangement and the little bucket at the bottom um people have various theories on that they say it could be a plant or a tree tree of life kind of thing or represent the spine Mm. um and the thing at the bottom could be that similar to the handbags that you find in mesopotamia (laughs) south america our favorite Uh, mystery um yeah so i i don't know it's interesting um but i think from the handbag theory you know like the these um mesopotamian handbag things uh, i think they're in central america as well right so um they're fine all those ones found at the top of gobekli tepe i mean pretty much anywhere um you look in the ancient world they can be found different you know even um uh there's different variations of them. Some look more like a handbags. Other ones look kind of similar, but maybe not the exact same thing. And I know there's been speculations that that somebody bringing uh, agriculture, there's some speculation that that's some sort of priest or priestess that's carrying some sort of entheogen or psychedelic. I mean, I've heard lots of different theories on that. So, you know, it's interesting. But yeah, that I didn't even think about that spine thing there in the middle. Uh-huh. And this is kind of the suggestions I've had from people. And I mean, I'm not sure which is my favorite, um, but I kind of like the bucket, the handbag idea. And I quite, I quite like the, um, the, that's sort of a plant or a tree. Right. Yeah. yeah like, I like that. <laughs> um, all right. So here we have a decorated altar from uh, Tarjin. Tarjin. Yeah, Tarjin. So here you've got the portal symbolism again. Um, and then this little. Um, rock at the bottom can be removed and behind it they found animal bones and a flint knife so That's interesting. yeah it looked like it was prepared. and then again you have that same um that same lentil with you know doorway with then with the portal inside of mm-hmm. it which is we just found three or four of them through the pictures we went through and and the spiral motif once again. So um, when you go to these temples, you find the replicas of the altars, but the originals are in the museum. Um, so it, when you go to the temples, it shows you where they were originally found. You know, just randomly in an apps. And they so they were know. making like little model versions of stuff, the big things that they built. It looks like. No, these are not small. This is huge. Oh, that this is, is big. Um, this is the original. It's huge. It's just um, not easy to see on the picture. How big is it? Yeah. Like how tall? Oh, like it? as big, as tall as me. Yeah. Oh wow. For sure. Okay. Like five foot something. It um, just looks tiny. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. No. And and the other one, the one before that, the pillar with the leaf or spine thing. Um, it's about yeah, about half of me, like two and a half, three feet. 
That's and that was just found in the middle of an apse. And this other one at Tashen, even though it's got a portal, it was just against a wall. So, like, you couldn't see through the portal or mm. anything. Gotcha. That's interesting. All right, here you have a uh, figurine from, I'm not even going to pronounce is it Shara? Shara. Okay. Yeah. Stone Circle. Um, this is the one that I thought looked kind of like a hybrid between something that's found in the Cyclades mixed with something that was found... Um, you know, one of the uh, uh, Minoan goddesses, and then mixed with, you know, one of the uh, uh, stone statues found at Gobekli Tepe. Kind of like a hybrid of all three. It kind of got that vibe uh -huh, from Totally. This. I thought that, and I asked on Instagram what people thought about it. And nobody really had, I said, what does this remind you of? Because I expected people to say that these kind of later cultures it would remind them of. And, and they didn't. <laughs> but yeah. I, I thought that. And yeah, it's and it also seems so different to all the other figurines that right. we have here. Um, and this is at Shara Stone Circle, so that is close to the public. But um, because it's close to Gigantia, some of the figurines that they've um, found there, they've put into the Gigantia Museum. Yeah, the, the Urfa Man, I think, is the one from Gobekli Tepe that I'm thinking of. Yeah. We're actually doing the middle of a Mysteries and Metaphysics series, and we're going to do one on the, the similarities between some of these cultures. But I wanted this is why I wanted to talk to you too, because I don't really know too much about Malta and was one of these mm -hmm. blind spots in uh, our ancient civilization research. And you just have like a ton and ton of knowledge on these, um, uh, on Malta, obviously. Mm -hmm. and you live there, which helps too. But uh, I think that, um, I think again, it's one of those sites or islands surrounded in mystery for sure from uh antiquity um so this is a giant uh feasting vessel uh, how big is that i mean it's about how can i maybe like one and a half feet in height or maybe no even two or three feet it okay. could be it's big it's huge so it's like a big bowl um, kind of with it yeah it's, it's really big <laughs> Like, definitely wouldn't be able to pick it up or anything. Um, Have they taken any samples from it to, to try and figure out what it was? No? Too old? No, or too... as far as I know, nothing like that. But this um, was found in the middle of an apse at yeah. Tarshin, I think this one is. And I just, I mean, giant feasting vessels make sense. That's fine. I right. just think it's funny that they would put a little cup handle on it when it clearly can't be carried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's a cute little... Uh, yeah. Decorative feature. <laughs> yeah, it looks like um, a, a giant teacup, kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I was just curious because you know, more and more now, when they've obviously found out that ancient people have been using psychoactive compounds, they've been like going back and re um, taking samples. And uh, I mean, I don't know if that they could get anything off of that stone, but it would be interesting to see if they could figure out was it wine in there, was it food, was it uh, you know possibly an entheogen. Um, I definitely think that's something that uh, they should look into. But and then you have like uh -huh. this Venus style statue without the head. Um, and there were just loads of these, like so many. Is it called the Fat Lady statue? Yeah, it's referred to as the Fat Lady statue. Statues and, and statuettes. Yeah, and so it. In this is obviously like you know we're talking about the Venus and the fertility goddesses and different things, and uh, I think the one. Venus statue, like the original one, was it found near Germany or something? It was like thirty thousand years old. It's pretty old, right? If I'm mistaken. Yeah, yeah, they're like um, from yeah the twenty five thousand to thirty thousand years old. Oh no, um, and I just can't 
like get my head around that because that's thousands and thousands of years before Malta was even settled. Well, yeah. And how would you think about maintaining some sort of information from right now today to 20,000 years from now? It sounds insane to even think about. Exactly. But you see, it's, it's strange because in these periods, like the Paleolithic and hunter-gatherer, you wouldn't expect people to be well corpulent because resources were limited. It was, it was difficult. It was all about survival every day. Right. Um, and there was a lot of physical activity involved in trying to find food and trying to get water. Um, so it does seem strange. And yeah, of course, it's usually been seen as they had this kind of attitude towards fertility. Um, and, and this was a representative representation of that. But actually, even with the Paleolithic Venus figurines, no one knows if they really were fertility goddesses or whatever. No right. one actually knows. It's just something that's become common parlance now. Everybody just refers to it that way. Sure. But we don't know. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely something you find, again, lots of different sites, these um, um, thicker you know, women figurines and uh, they obviously represent something or they wouldn't have tried to maintain that knowledge for thousands and thousands of years or maybe it's just something embedded in our psyche too that keeps popping up i don't know but um mm. yeah there's definitely well, some of them they have like the um like them feeding i think a baby or that it yeah. looks like they're giving birth to a baby so all right fair enough i'll say those ones are to do with fertility but but in general um it this it just I don't see that it has to be that. Sure. So. Well, this has been uh, is. super fascinating. And uh, I think that um, when you look at everything that's gone on in terms of history and what we know, and um, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. It's just bizarre to look at some place like Malta and see similarities and then also differences but all you know there's still some of the same um hallmarks so yeah i don't know it's just uh it's bizarre uh, it's, it's it's exciting um i really enjoy researching it and i think so many people have done a lot of work on this so casual researchers independent researchers and writers loads of obviously academics and experts and and there's still loads of questions to be answered so there's a lot of scope here, and I think it's great um, what you guys are doing. Really interesting um, people that you've had on, and it, I just it keeps every time you meet different people, you just opens your mind up even a little bit more to the possibilities of what was really going on in the past. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm really intrigued by it all, and I think it's good to keep having these conversations. And I've got loads more things we could talk about. Like I even made a list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, let's let's get you back on and. Uh, I mean, in an hour and a half, and we barely scratched the surface, and that's just Malta. Right. So amazing stuff that we can talk about. From well, let's the call. Period. Let's call this part one, and we'll schedule some yeah. time in the future to get you back on, and we'll we'll do the same thing, but with just different uh, different uh, topics. But uh, again, I can't stress this enough. I think I have a pretty good eye for. Uh, people who know their stuff and research and knowledge and uh, like I said I've been following you since the beginning and uh, you've been putting credible stuff out there and initially I think I reached out to you even a long time ago to come on but you're like I just got started you know give me some time to get yeah, you know, some some, time. some stuff out there <laughs> and uh, that's what you've done now and uh, if you yeah. listen to our I didn't podcast even have any branding at that yeah. point I was like wait <laughs> I like your logo too um, and Thank your name you. is phenomenal so I think you're gonna do very well and uh, yeah so if anybody listens to our podcast or watches our podcast and you're in 
to ancient civilizations and knowledge and stuff like that, please go su- subscribe to the Megalithic Hunter or Megalith Hunter, excuse me, uh, YouTube channel. And also go subscribe or uh, follow her on um, Instagram as well. So if you like looking at I these pictures. I subscribed on both. Yeah. So go, go check it out. I have the <laughs> links down Maurice below. Pop up in there. I have the links down <laughs> below. Please go do it. And awesome. uh, yeah, this has been super, super fun. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to uh, see how this unfolds in, in, in the future and see, uh, yeah, how, how you progress. I mean, that's definitely... Like I said, it's definitely um, one of the more interesting sites. And obviously, like you said, when things kind of get back going and everything, maybe you can get to some other nearby sites and, and start to do that as well. But uh, I, I'm th- going to solve all the mysteries, guys. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. Watch me. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, though. And I know. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know. Uh, like I said, we'll get you back on again for sure. But thank you so much. And uh, everybody go check out her stuff one more time. And before we get out of here real quick, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. We're not going to do one today. However, next time we get Laura on, I'll make sure we have enough time to uh, make one of those happen for everybody. Um, and one more thing, head on over to Indra's Web at indrasweb.org. This is a social media platform we connect, uh, created to connect open minds. So whether you like all the stuff we were just talking about, ancient civilizations and mysteries and stuff like that, or you want to talk about philosophy or metaphysics or psychedelics, whatever it is, head on over there, set up a profile. We're trying to get it in the app store, so go check that out. But uh, again, thank you so much, Laura, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Bye. Everybody stay safe out there. We love you. Peace. Mm -hmm.